Welcome back to Bittersweet Valley, the podcast where two childhood friends return to the world of Sweet Valley High to examine this beloved series through a lens of YA Today. In this episode, we're going to be talking about books 15 and 16, Promises and Rags to Riches. How are you doing, Emily? I'm doing great, Elizabeth. These are some good stories that I'm looking forward to talking about with you. Oh my gosh, me too. Wild times. Also, RIP Trisha, because we lost the character of Trisha at the start of book 15. So, gosh, that's sad. Pour one out for Trisha. She made it to book 15. (laughs) I liked her. I know. Well, and you know, I remembered it's funny because, like, I'm, I've been shocked in the, the reading, like, how much I've remembered and how much I've forgotten from this series. And I remembered Trisha as a character existing for what felt like more of the books than she did. Um, so, you know, it, it's kind of wild to see that she's already passed at the start of book 15 when her bout with leukemia was announced in what book it was like eight or nine right um no 12 12 what so she we barely knew she was sick yeah because that was was why they were working at the hospital and then they get kidnapped elizabeth gets kidnapped uh, it's just it's it's crazy to me to think about, and I know the these books are not about illness, um, and so that that would be why it wouldn't be a focal point of the plot. But it's just wild to me to think about that we barely knew she was sick, and now she's gone. But yeah, book fifteen starts with Trisha leaving us. So um, I'm going to get into it and go ahead and start talking to you about book 15 because um, it was not about Trisha. She just dies at the beginning. Um, but that's what that's what starts our plot off. Um, and that's what I really want to talk to you about is um, the weird messaging that we see in book 15. So um, book 15, like I said, not really about Trisha. Trisha dies. Um, it's more about her sister, Betsy. So um, Betsy is Trisha's younger sister. And as we have established in um, previous books, um, the Martin family um, is from the quote, wrong side of the tracks in Sweet Sweet Valley. Um and um, is viewed negatively around town. And one of the things that Trisha asks Stephen as she's dying is for him to take care of her younger sister. Um, And so, of course, Stephen agrees, um, which I guess is what the, the promises are in the title. The promise is that he will take care of Betsy. So Betsy ends up moving in with the Wakefield family for this book. Um, and she's known around town for being a total drunk and for sleeping around And Jessica is really, really concerned about how this is going to look, how it will reflect upon the family for Betsy to be living with them and for Stephen to be spending so much time 
with Betsy, um, which is so hypocritical, right? Because we know um, both of the Wakefield twins um, drink and go to parties where they drink and their friends drink. So I don't, I know it's hard to put myself in the headspace of somebody who drank in high school because I didn't drink in high school. But even as a person who drank in high school or who didn't drink in high school, I never was as judgy. I don't think I remember myself being as judgy as Jessica is. It's just so strange to me that she, as a person who does drink and get drunk, would be so judgmental of someone else who drinks and act like that makes her an alcoholic. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I think as we see in patterns in this book, it's who is doing the drinking. It's not that the it's all like it's an acceptable thing or acceptable acceptable activity or not. It's well, it's okay if these people do it. These people absolutely not. You can't. You're horrible. You're you know, we 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 drunk shame them and you know, so yeah, it's who who's doing it. And you know, I mean we see that day to day in society. And we see it in, you know, high school cliques, no matter what year it is. And yeah, it's who who's doing it is, I think, the the main thing that we see. And it's it's not fair. It's not right. And it's annoying. Yeah, well, and it's, uh, you know, I, th- I think you're right. It's annoying whether it's fiction or nonfiction. Um, but, it, you know, it's frustrating to see, like, Jessica is later on in the book. She's trying to get Betsy essentially kicked out of the house and she goes um like searching for pot in the room where betsy is staying um like she she desperately wants betsy ousted from the house um and i just uh, you know i i don't understand with jessica being a character who smokes pot why does she think it's such a problem you know but but it's ultimately it is that double standard pay, playing out. So Betsy Betsy is um, a talented artist though, um, and so Liz really wants to encourage her art as kind of a emotional, um, you know, emotional cleansing thing for her. Um, and Liz has kind of taken her on as a charity case, which we know Liz likes to do. Um, she likes to take people on as a project to help them, um, which is its own version of complicated, right? Um, but Liz uh, takes her on as a charity case, and uh, she and Steven start working with Steven's friend, Jason, who is an instructor at a local art school, to get her into the art school. Um, she goes to a class um, there for free. And of course, she's super talented. She's not used to being complimented by guys for things that are not related to wanting to get her in bed. So she's really uncertain about being complimented. Um, but, um, you know, she's just starting to open up um, and, you know, be interested in this idea that maybe she could be more than just the famous party girl around town kind of thing. So Jessica finds out though about Steven's promise to Trisha and she, under the guise of trying to help Trisha or trying to help Betsy, 
Um, but of course, she's not trying to help Betsy. She tells Betsy that, oh, Stephen only cares about you because Trisha made him promise to care about you. That's all. That's the only reason. Um, And so, of course, that really upsets Betsy because she thought people actually cared about her. But this is just another situation of people caring about her sister, not caring about her. So she packs up and leaves. Um, So, um, so yeah, Betsy, of course, she packs up and leaves. She goes to a bar with a couple of guys. I don't remember what their names were. I want to say one of them was named like Crush or Crunch or something, you know, (laughs) Um, something very after school special. She goes to the bar, whatever the bar is, the one bar in town, you know, where like any bar scenes take place at this bar. She goes there with them. Um, And so um, Stephen and Jason go to the bar to save her from herself. And she, they find her sitting in a booth with these two guys and she's got a couple drinks in her and is being flirty with these guys. And Stephen and Jason get into a fight with these guys and um, save her. Um, Jason wins the fight. Um, So he's her hero and uh, she has officially been saved and she can go to art school because she got a scholarship and all that kind of good stuff. So um, ultimately, you know, we, we have seen discussion of class earlier in these books with, um, you know, local athletic race champion Roger um, being able to go to college because he wins a scholarship through a race. But I, I feel like this was this was a darker exploration of class because, um, you know, in the previous book that I read that explored issues of class in Sweet Valley, everything kind of wrapped up in a nice bow for Roger because he had an innate talent that led him to, um, you know, win, win the race and get the scholarship through winning the race. But in, in this book, even though, same story, Betsy has an innate talent that it would allow her to win the scholarship to get into the art school. The way the story is conveyed is a little bit more like she was only able to have access to that scholarship because the Wakefields helped her get it. So that felt, I don't know, it it felt a little a little less exciting for Betsy to me. Yeah. Well, I mean, Roger obtained a scholarship on his own efforts and merit. And this is framed as Betsy needing the assistance to be able to get there, to be able to obtain a scholarship or through her art. Um, And I don't know if that's a pattern that plays out in other books, but that's what I, that's what, that's what I was observing when I was listening to you describe the plot. And it, it feels absolutely valid that, you know, there are so many times, and we know this as high school teachers, there are so many times that there are students who are in financial need to be able to attend college, and they're phenomenally talented students, but they need help to get that leg up to get noticed for mm-hmm. the 
the big scholarship money that they need. Um, and so it's, you know, it's totally valid that, you know, there are so many talented art students in the world and only so much scholarship money to go toward them. Um, and maybe Betsy would need that additional assistance to get noticed. Um, but, you know, I think it's because these books are about the Wakefields and the Wakefields are in particular Stephen and Liz. They're always helping people. It just it feels kind of like this person who is in need of money needed rich people to give her the access that they have in order to get the money. And I know that that is a thing that sometimes exists that, you know, do good or wealthy people um, use their um, privilege in order to assist people who, um, you know, don't have the access that they do. But um, ultimately I left the book not feeling excited for Betsy that she um, had received the scholarship and was going to go to art school, but rather kind of judging Stephen and Jason and Elizabeth for not realizing um, how it would make Betsy feel um, that they were so aggressive in their helping of her. Um, Yeah. Jessica did not really grow as a person in this book. Um, the quote of the book, though, is Lila calls Betsy low-class trash oof. multiple times. And, yeah, that that absolutely that oof noise is how I felt each time I read it. And, um, you know, I know we have characters like Bruce and Lila who are so wealthy that they don't really have a concept of all the privileges their wealth provides them. But... You know, again, for her to be calling somebody low-class trash just because she drinks and has sex, which are things Lila does, um, you know, was jarring. So, well, this book ended, like most of the books, with a cliffhanger. So I know a little bit about what's going to happen in your book, because at the very end of the book, quite randomly, Bruce's uncle dies, um, and it's announced that Roger is... Bruce's uncle's son. So Roger, the surprise race champion who won the scholarship for being a really, really great runner just a few books ago, is now part of Bruce's family. So I'm guessing that's the the crux of the rags to riches plot. Am it's I certain. on the right track here? Yep, because I my little description I wrote for myself. Roger is now a member of the Patman family. Congratulations, so Roger. Flows seamlessly into a mansion and the the Patman family dynamics. No, he doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> He's a good guy. And, um, you know, you're happy that you, you hope it works out for him. And at the same time, I feel bad for him, you know. So he's now a member of the Patman family, and now that he's rich and he got contacts, no more glasses, and has better clothes, Jessica's obviously interested. How can she help herself? Um, Olivia is his close friend. I think there's something there. I don't remember if it defines her as his girlfriend, but they're really close, and I think there's something there. And um, so he he has her, and she kind of supports him on, in all of this, which is good. And so he starts to learn how to navigate the world of the Patmans and lavish wealth. And 
knowing that he doesn't fit in, he like knowing that this just is not his life. This isn't who he is. And he tries, he's grateful for his, um, for Bruce Patman's or Bruce's mom and dad to take him in. And he tries really hard, you know, to kind of live up to whatever he thinks their expectations are, but it's just, it's just not for him. But Jessica's happy. Jessica really, I mean, in, in multiple books and I think in other books that will probably come up, Jessica really believes she is destined for wealth. And she thinks that the way for her to get that wealth is to be mar- like in the Patman family. And so she thinks this is her in. And so she, I'm sorry, listeners. And Elizabeth, I'm sorry he barked during your. Oh, buddy. Bring here. him upstairs. He was just up here. He so. wants to be a co host. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, everybody. Next episode you listen to, it will not be like this. So we're going to continue <laughs> unless it gets out of hand. Um, anyway. Um, Yep. So Jessica is definitely into Roger now. What a surprise. And so he's kind of, he he likes Olivia. She supports him. He, you know, there's more there. And he has Jessica, beautiful Jessica, who's interested in him. And there's a big party coming up um, at the Patmans that Jessica is really trying to, like, she basically finagles Roger taking her so she can go, obviously. Um, So the side, like the, the other half of the story is Lila has discovered Regina Morrow, if we remember from one of the previous episodes, is Regina Morrow's family is also very, very wealthy. I feel like they might be more wealthy than the Fowlers and the Patmans. That was kind of the impression I got before when we were talking, like the other, the previous episode. Um, but in any case, they're very, very wealthy. And um, she, Lila has discovered that Regina is leaving school early and meeting some older man downtown. She is able to follow her one day and she thinks it's this huge scandal. Um, and she's really looking forward to like finding out and telling everybody at school and making Regina's life on, you know, a little more difficult. And, um, but what actually has happened is that Regina has been, you know, selected or chosen to be on the cover of like their magazine ingenue or something. And, um, so when Lila finds out that that is the reason that's even worse <laughs> Because she's not going to be on the cover of Ingenue. So she waltzes into the, you know, to the magazine offices, determine and, and is, imagines that they're going to follow. Okay, listeners, sorry about that. So I will continue. Oh, sorry, listeners, about that. We will continue. Um, so Lila barges in to the modeling or the magazine offices, demanding and pretty convinced that she'll be able to, you know, have an equal or better career at modeling. And she is told down or turned down because she's told she has a flat face, which I mean, she's, there's nothing so far. There's nothing redeeming about Lila in any of these stories. And I, I chuckled at that because that would have been such a blow to her ego. Um, what do you think a flat face looks like? Like, is it described? No, she's just, they're like, no, you have a flat face. How you have to remember, this is not the era of contouring that we have today. So that's true. I mean, they, I mean, I know that they did. It's not like it's a new, like new fad or new technique, but yeah. So no contouring is probably not what it is today. That's so. true. Well, I think about, cause so many like models, you know, it, it's about showing off the clothes, not about, you know, like, like a lot of runway models, but they're still so picky about a look and it's, it's undefinable almost like if, well, my only experiences watching very limited amount of America's next top model. But 
I don't know, there's some sort of look that they're looking for and they know it when they see it and it's not anything that I could ever define. So it's true. That's a, that's definitely outside of our area of expertise. Maybe conventional versus <laughs> conventional, but what even is that, you know? I don't know. All right. And so she um so Lila's modeling career is immediately over. So that's kind of what's happening in the background. And so Roger eventually manages to find out that Jessica manipulated his relationship with Olivia. So he would take her to the party. So basically, I mean, previously, I don't even think I need to explain this at this point, but Jessica kind of weasels her way between Roger and Olivia and kind of is like, well, I think, I think along the lines of like telling Olivia, like, well, you know, he has a different life now. He doesn't need you, you know? And so she's devastated and hurt because they're good friends or, you know, it's a nice friendship slash probably love interest or relationship. You know, it's one of the few that we see in the book. And it's, and so obviously Jessica ruins that she hurts somebody for her own purposes and Roger finds out. And fortunately he does not take Jessica to the party. Um, He does have um, integrity and he goes with Olivia. So that was, that was nice to see. So that's kind of the, that's kind of the gist of this book. And I don't really remember any exciting cliffhangers. Um, I think it, I think a couple, like a couple of things are alluded to, but nothing, you know, like some of the ones that we've seen before. So yeah, so that's our, that's Roger's rags to riches story. Um, I really like Roger. You know, he's appeared a couple times, you know, he works hard. He, from what we can tell, he doesn't really complain. He really does his best and it's kind of, I feel bad for him because I don't think that this is a life that he wished for, but I hope, you know, with these books written going on 30 years ago, but I hope, you know, it works out for him, worked out for him. Yeah. I don't, you know, I have very few memories of what happened to anyone in the sweet Valley confidential, like when they were adults. Um, so I, I read all of those um, when they came out. What feels like a few years ago to me, but that was probably like 10 plus years ago. Um, I don't remember Roger being in there. I don't know. Hopefully everything turned out great for Roger. Yeah, we wish him well. Yes, we wish you well, Roger. We'll see what happens to him in the rest of this series anyway. so. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, it's interesting to think about those two books coming you know, one after the other, because they're kind of exploring in two different ways, the issue of class one book after the other. Um, Mm -hmm. I wonder how intentional that was, because neither of these books are really about the Wakefields. They're more about these other characters in the, you know, in the circle of Sweet Valley yeah. I wonder if it was more designed as, you know, like the soap opera kind of format. You know, you have all of these little stories, you circle back to the big things that you're, you know, in, interested in, but like you have these little side plots that develop quite decently, but then maybe not at all. So I wonder if that was more of the focus of, or like drawing out, I mean, we, I think you're the one that had mentioned a while ago, you know, she outlined everything moving forward and so I wonder if that was more of the focus because I don't think it was anything like tackling issues that teens face and it was just more of telling a story about these kids and these families or the Wakefield family yeah 
Well, I'm excited to see what happens next. What are we reading for next time? Um, it looks like we have Love Letters. That's what you're reading. Number 17. And I have Head Over Heels. So much love for next time. Yeah. So that is what's coming up. So, listeners, that wraps up this episode of Bittersweet Valley Podcast. Join our community by liking and subscribing to wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. We would love to hear from you so other Sweet Valley fans can find us as well. And we will see you in the next episode. Bye.